0: I have enjoyed the music today. I enjoy it all the time, but I really enjoyed it today, because there are just times in my life when I need to not focus on me and what God has done for me, and how my life is better because of God. You know, there are just times in my life when I need a Copernican revolution. To realize that the universe doesn't revolve around me. To realize that this place that we live in, that it revolves around the sun, S-O-N, and that he's the center. And we've been singing this morning not so much just gospel songs, but actual hymns of worship, and I'm, it's just It's been good to my heart. It really has. I must just be in that mode right now where that's needed. Did you bring your swords with you? Stand with me, would you, to read from Mark chapter 9? I'll tell you what. I know we kind of did it, but let's do it again. Let's take a 30-second liturgy right? What that is is that you just shake loose from where you are, shake at least four and a half hands. All right? Now I used to say that in a church where I pastored and I had one guy come up to me, he was a carpenter, and he said, Pastor, please quit saying that. I said, and then he stuck his hand out, stuck his hand out to shake and I realized he had cut some of his fingers off when he was working. He said, everybody's looking for me. <laughs> well, Shake at least four and a half hands and say to each other, This is God's time. Go for it. 30 seconds. <laughs> this is God's time. I appreciate you so much. Brian. alright, that's enough. Stop it. I'll give you folks 30 seconds and what do you do? Mark chapter 9, begin with verse 38. Are you ready? May the Lord be with you. Listen for the word of God. John said to him, Jesus, that is, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you, hear, you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Now, if I had time and I don't, this is one of the rare times in the entire New Testament where Jesus refers to himself as Christ. But he does here. For those who think he didn't know who he was. If any of you put a stumbling block, the word there is, in English, it it, it sounds like scandal, scandalous or scandalon or Greek. If any of you would put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. We're not talking about little millstone like, like, like home type, we're talking about the big millstones that... It takes a mule or a donkey to, to make it work. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. <laughs> Somebody had to say, say what? If it is better for you to enter life, maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable, unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble... Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Ouch. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I know what you're thinking. Oh, God, I hope he's not going to preach one of those sermons. Hmm. Jesus did. But let's talk. May I pray with you before we talk about it? Father, thank you. You have been good to us, you have made yourself known to us. Our lives have been transformed by your grace. Which is nothing more than just your presence in gracious ways toward us. Bless us now, this time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May be seated. I always have trouble when I turn to Mark's gospel because I never know where to start and where to end. There's so much here. But one thing is clear in Mark's gospel. And that is these disciples, these 12, these guys that are on the inside track, they're in the inner circle, these guys that Jesus is pouring himself into, these guys that are going to be handed the church very soon, these ones that everyone is depending on, are not getting it. They just don't seem to have it figured out. They don't seem to be able to get it figured out. They're constantly messing up, constantly so off track. They hardly even ever recognize who Jesus is. These insiders actually act more like outsiders. And then the outsiders seem to be the ones who know better who Jesus is and what is really going on here. Tax collectors, Samaritans, prostitutes, demons... And even a Roman soldier, they all seem to know who Jesus is in Mark's gospel. They confess that he is the Son of God. It's just not the disciples that seem to get it right. Oh, one moment, one moment, Peter gets it right in the gospel. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he responds that He was that Jesus was the Christ, Son of God. And Jesus said, oh, that's plagiarism. I've seen your papers before. You didn't come up with that. That's not been from you. That is something God has revealed to you. And he pronounces a blessing, changes his name. Always important to notice when people's names get changed in the Bible. It means something big has happened. Changes his name. But then as soon as Jesus starts to talk about his death and his resurrection. Peter, who finally for the first time got the right answer in class, decides that he's going to take over the class. And when Jesus says, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to be raised, Peter stands up and says, no, wrong answer. And Jesus, who just a few moments before, had said to Peter, you're blessed. Now looks at that same fella and says, get Behind me, Satan. Do you know it's possible to have the right words and still not be on the right page? It's possible to have one right answer and still be thinking wrongly altogether. That's where Peter was. And these 12 that seem to not get a hint about who Jesus is, they're the ones that Jesus keeps pouring himself into matter of fact, Marianne Tolbert talks about the Gospel of Mark as being a gospel where it is the parable of the sower that is the gospel in a nutshell. this sower that seems to not understand good agrarian practice, who's just indiscriminately throwing seed mostly on places that have no chance of doing well. And in the gospel, here's Jesus just doling out his life and his teachings upon these 12 dullards who seem to never get it, who seem to be constantly off track and misunderstanding, doling out the precious seed. What's wrong with this farmer anyway? They seem to be Examples of the bad soil that need more work before they're going to ever become useful. All through chapters 8, 9, and 10, we have, th- we have three cycles of four events that, that take place. It starts with Jesus predicting his death and his resurrection. And immediately after that, the disciples just refuse to deal with what he's saying. Either they reject it or they want to talk about something else. But they don't want to deal with that. After that, Jesus then teaches them about what it means to be his disciple. And then something happens, whether it be his transfiguration or this character who is, who is casting out demons in Jesus' name or whatever. There are things that happen that show that there's something extraordinary going on here with this one named Jesus. Three times these four events occur again and again. It is it is a literary device that kind of builds up some understanding. And in the front of that and at the end of it is this in, we call an inclusio, in which at the beginning Jesus is healing a man that is blind. But when he first touches him, the man sees but sees not clearly. He sees men as trees walking. I don't even know how to understand that. And so it requires another touch, and then after having that second touch, he sees all things clearly. At the end of this cycle of of four events, these three times over four events, Again, a man is presented to Jesus who is blind. And this time, just one touch is all that's needed, and he is healed of the blindness. In between this is a good description of where the disciples were. They had already been touched and changed and transformed by being with Jesus by receiving his welcome, by walking with him. But they still weren't seeing clearly. They still weren't able to see what God was doing in this one named Jesus of Nazareth. Well, there's another thing they're not getting. And that is the battle is on. The war is afoot. The conflict of the ages is just around the corner. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where he is going to be arrested and he is going to be found guilty and he is going to be crucified for the sins of the world. Although it's not understood by all around that that's what's going on. It's a drama that has far more significance than any of them understood. If I had time and I don't, this is a place where I would talk about some of the events that take place in our life that we can't, possibly, we can't possibly perceive how important they might be and what God is really intending to do in this moment that we have. But Jesus is going to be obedient in spite of what others understand. He's trying to get them to see it, but they refuse. They just are not going to deal with it. He says it once, and Peter rebukes Jesus for even talking that way. Later on, he says it again, and James and John are trying to talk with him about something else. They're talking about him setting up his great kingdom and giving them the positions of power and prestige to be on his right hand, to be on his left hand. And in the passage we just read, you have the disciples that rather than thinking about or talking about what Jesus is saying, instead they're upset because this outsider is doing the things that, they, that he shouldn't be doing because he's not one of them. Jesus keeps throwing the seed of truth. But the disciples' little plot of ground seems to hold very little promise for the future. I don't even want to try to confess how many times I have not caught on to what God is trying to do in my life. How many times he had to keep telling me and teaching me the same thing over and over again. Earlier in this same chapter, Mark tells us about those 12 who were given an opportunity to bring healing to a a, a fellow's son who was convulsing. And it appears that they tried their best to to comply and tried their best to bring healing to him, but they were unable to do it. It was embarrassing. They were concerned about it because they couldn't heal the boy like they thought they should. And now they find this outsider who's not even one of this close-in group, doing the same miraculous things that they thought they should be able to do, the very thing that they couldn't. Here's a fascinating passage in here. So much drama going on with those who think that they're going to somehow be great in the kingdom, but there are people that are not even part of the circle that are doing more than they were able to do themselves. They complain. They say to Jesus, he's not following us. But did you catch that? They didn't say, he's not following you to Jesus. They said, he's not following us. Perhaps that's what they should have said. He's not following you, but... No, it's that this outsider who was embarrassing them wasn't getting in line and following their special little troop. That he wasn't actually casting his vote. That they are the significant ones.